Hello, Rajneel. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you can make time today and we are finally doing this. Rakshit, thanks. Thank you so much for having me over. Thank you. Yeah, no, I it's it's my pleasure because uh, I I've been reading Signal. I've been subscribed to Signal for a while now and uh, I wanted to get you on board on uh, LinkedIn as well. That's why I pinged you and... Uh, and Dinesh, everybody. And yeah, and I always want to have this conversation, right? To get to know about you, your journey and everything. So before we start, like, why don't you tell the viewers uh, more about yourself, your journey? I heard that you once wanted to become a financial expert. So how did that transition happen to, say, uh, me, social media and then media in general and publishing, etc.? My, my, I mean, my journey actually began in Bangalore. I was born and brought up there. Wow. I did my schooling there and then I moved to Delhi for college. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to college here. I, I spent some of my most impressionable years in Delhi. Mm-hmm. I am also one of the three people in this country who like Delhi more than Bangalore. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I understand why, but I was never a healthy, uh, I was never a healthy person in Bangalore. The pollen rain, I have these allergies. Okay. So when I moved to Delhi, I was incredibly healthy as well, among other things. Uh-huh. Uh, so I did my undergrad in Delhi and then I joined Google right after. Mm-hmm. I was in Google for about 2011 to 2016, mm-hmm. uh, post which I was bitten by the startup bug. Um, yep. I decided that I wanted to do something. I had a uh, ad, an internet ad agency or a digital media agency back in my college days as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is back in 2009 and 2010 when Facebook and Twitter had just about started. We were very, the very, very early days, right? So that was like a little uh, uh, side project that I did in college. Um, we would have probably continued it except that I got a job at Google and nobody says no to Google. So <laughs> kind of left that and, and went to Google. In uh-huh. 2016, I tried my hands at a startup which was which started off in the regional language news space and wanted to become a super app. It spectacularly blew up in six months. Wow. Uh, for the next six months, I had no idea as to what I should have been doing. And uh-huh. I couldn't get myself to go back. I mean, you know, go back and reapply to a job and try and do all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I then started a, uh, like a tech shop, uh, helping people build apps. We, we tried that, which then morphed into an ad agency. And that was not the life that I wanted. <laughs> so I kind of moved out of that again and uh, said, okay, what is it that I should be doing next? And that's how NC Media Networks and then subsequently the signal came about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, when I was in college, you know, it's funny, when, when I was in SRCC, I always thought of my life in my third year of college as someone who would wear a suit, carry a briefcase, uh, take, a, take a ferry across the Hudson, come into New York, go to my office in Wall Street, finish my oh. job at seven, and then go back to that 58th floor building back in Jersey or, you know, somewhere in Manhattan overlooking that skyline of, of New York. Yeah. Life quite didn't turn out like that. Uh, yeah. and, and I don't regret it, actually, because I'm very happy uh-huh. uh, that it's turned out the way it has. So I, I was doing my, uh, I was, I was, I, along with college, I was trained to become a certified financial planner. Mm-hmm. Back in 2011, I knew that um, everyone's talking about investing. But a lot of people didn't necessarily plan finances in their own life. I mean, experience from my own family. Yeah. And I did, I, I took that training. I gave my AFP exam, which is the Associate Financial Planner, okay. with the aim that once I join work, I'll finish the course off and then see what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed myself a little too much at Google to realize that I didn't want to get into finance anymore. Uh-huh. Or, you know, that that industry. And uh, 
Yeah. I've continued to hold some of those skills even now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm fairly more prudent with how I'm making decisions when it comes to finances. Mm-hmm. Uh, also helps me call out the BS in many times when someone's come to sell me a product or, you know, even when I look at content that's posted on and I'm like, that's not true or that's only half the advice that they're giving you. Uh, but uh, yeah, and it's been, I, I've, I've now worked for about uh, 11 to 12 years. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't, I, I didn't do my postgrad. Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to do that, but uh, I was, it was like, a, you know, there was one path that went towards the MBA and the other that went towards uh, being on my own, starting up and doing something. Mm-hmm. I chose the latter. Uh, okay. Don't regret it. Don't regret it. I was going to ask you that. Do you regret that decision? Or do you think if you would have done that, it would have been something else, something interesting? The, the one regret I would have is I didn't learn how to code. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think now, especially given how the world is, mm-hmm. um, I'm very, I, I like technology. I like gadgets. Uh, I'm an early adopter in most cases. Yeah. Uh, so I wish I knew how to code. I uh-huh. think that would be the only regret. I do miss like the certainty, regularity and frequency of the paycheck, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's something I miss. But other than that, I, I think I'm I'm happy where I am. No, I completely understand the coding aspect because I did engineering, I did electronics and communication, but, and I did know a fair amount of coding, but that's completely out of my mind right now. I don't know how to code at all, but I know there are no code apps and everything, but it's still not the same, right? I mean, I mean, I, I I would now look at a no code app and still be like, ah, doesn't do what I wanted to do, you know? And there's a different thrill to being able to write something, to go back, to modify it, to see it work, then just do a drag and drop and see it work, right? I'm sure. Yeah. No, sorry. I was asking, what do you think about chat GPT then? I mean, they're saying these generative AI tools can also help you code. They can write stuff for you. What's your take on that? Well, I'm hoping it finally helps me code. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, if I can just say, Hey, chat GPT, help me make an app which does A, B, C, D, and it automatically writes the code which which automatically works. Uh-huh. I think that's going to be phenomenal, right? Um, I, I think I, I did try chat GPT. I did a test trial and it's fascinating, I must say. Yeah. I was very impressed with the results that came out. Uh, almost said, wow, we can write the entire newsletter like this. But then realized <laughs> that uh, what, I mean, it still can't replace humans in the flair of writing beyond a point and the kind of insight and the analysis that we can give. That mm-hmm. GPT is still based and trained on data that's, you know, that's already there, yeah. which means that it's not, I mean, I'm sure it, at some point it will catch up. But it's not mm-hmm. forward looking enough uh, in terms of, I mean, if you're writing an article and I want to pinpoint but I want to match 10 data points to connect the dots for you. I doubt chat GPT can do that yet. I haven't tried it fully, so I can be completely wrong on this, but yeah. No, what I've heard is I think it completely depends on the prompts also, right? Again, that also depends on how knowledgeable the person <laughs> is. Depends on the, the kind of prompt that you give ChatGPT, the results that it outputs. Uh, it's it's crazy because I've seen a few people who use ChatGPT to even edit their presentations and like by summarize this thing. And there's this tool on YouTube where they summarize a particular YouTube video by using the transcript and everything, right? 
So it, yeah. it's you in some cases, but again, like I don't think it can replace. Even I agree with that. Replace you. I I definitely think it's going to revolutionize the content creation industry, especially written content. Yeah. Um, you're now able to generate blogs on the fly. You're able to generate SEO articles on the fly. Yeah. So I think that's going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, there's still going to be areas where you might still need a little bit of human intelligence to come to the fall. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, so you mentioned Google, right? And I I know that you've had a very interesting journey in Google as well. Like you joined as an account strategist and then you went into public policy and government affairs, etc. How did that transition even happen? Why do you even want to go towards that? Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, uh, we, we could never afford the latest technology. Um, mm-hmm. And that was always a fascination for me. Mm-hmm. So when I started um, working in Google and I started having access to technology, mm-hmm. my life transformed and it transformed phenomenally, right? So still the early 2010s, so uh, we just about had 3G in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were still pockets of, I mean, we were majority a 2G country back then. But even with that slow 2G speed and then a slightly faster 3G speed, life really changed for me. And I realized that if it could change for me, it could change for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, right? But the challenge then was how do you bring technology to the hands of these people? How do you make technology more accessible? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, it's, I mean, and in many cases, the devices that we had had to be connected to the internet yeah. for that transformational uh, effect to take place. So when I joined Google, uh, I joined as an AdWords associate. I was approving ads. Um, I started off there, moved to looking at uh, policy enforcement from an ads perspective, uh, moved to sales, and then finally to public policy and government affairs. Mm-hmm. I think my objective of joining uh, the PPGR team back then was to do exactly this, right? How do we unlock the potential of tech for the people, yeah. uh, people of this country? And how could uh, me sitting at Google try and do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, we were about 200 million internet users. There was no internet geo. Yeah. Uh, not only were we trying to solve for access, we were also trying to ensure that the content that was available online was not just in English, but in multiple regional languages as well. Yeah. So I remember working on this thing called the Indian Language Internet Alliance back when I was in Google, so trying to get language creators or language journalists to create more regional language content, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's really what inspired and motivated me. And one of the things about Google is uh, back then you could do this 80% code job and 20% projects. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the projects that I did would be with either the public relations team or the uh, public policy team. So I started getting exposure to these teams. So when there was an opening, I took my luck and said, let me try. And, and it just mm-hmm. happened. I got lucky. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, and I can see how that also helped you with your, say, like the publishing area, right? Like, I mean, news and publishing and then again, news checker signal, etc. I I think by the the end of my uh, tenure at Google, I knew I wanted to be at the intersection of content marketing, tech and policy. Yeah. Um, It's very rarely would you find this combination unless you created that combination for yourself. so, and, you know, often I went away from that path thinking that maybe it's never going to happen. And yet in mysterious ways, I found myself back at that combination. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, I would say a lot of it is planned, but a lot of it is also unplanned. Right? Sometimes it just happens out of uh, pure coincidence. And that's what has happened to me at least in the last four years. Mm-hmm. But uh, did you always want to move to news and like in that side and talking about news and everything? Or like, how did that even happen? <laughs> that transition happen? 
I grew up in a media family. Uh, my my father was, I think, the first employee in Star India in South India. Wow. Okay. So he set up the first office in Bangalore, and you know, mm-hmm. um, back then Star Plus was not uh, the Hindi soaps that you see. Back then it was like uh, Remington Steel, Baywatch, and you know, uh, Santa Barbara and things like that. Uh-huh. I so I grew up in that environment of observing how media was growing in India itself. At come 2000, the media landscape in India had changed. Yeah. I still remember July 3rd, 2000, because that's when Kanbaninga Karodpati had, had kind of uh, come on TV and that had ushered in a revolution in TV that hadn't been seen before. Yeah, uh, That day also made a minister. But other than that, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it, it was transformation over there. And then my father moved into the news industry. He moved to Delhi. He was in Bangalore before that as well. Mm-hmm. So the very first building that I saw in Delhi when I came, and the first time I was in Delhi, yeah. was a new studio. Oh, and wow. I was, yeah, I, I mean, my father said, come on, take you somewhere. You know, we're, we're practicing to see, you know, we're going to go live in a couple of days. So we're doing a test broadcast. Do you want to come and see? I said, uh-huh. sure. And I'd just come from Rajasthan. I'd just gotten off. I was groggy-eyed and I was a little pissed off that, you know, I, I also like planes. Yeah. So I was angry that time that, you know, I really wanted to fly. I've not been on a plane. Um, I've not, I've been on a plane before, but I've not been on a plane in a long time. Yeah. And the ticket didn't seem that expensive. So why didn't you make me fly? So he said, no, I'll show you something better when you come. Mm -hmm. And I went to this uh, studio, very starry eyed. And, you know, I saw a lot of these people whom I only used to see on TV earlier. So that was a huge, huge uh, fascination for me. Uh, But then at some point, I think what my dad, when when I finished my 11th and 12th, Mm-hmm. Uh, I kept saying, well, you know, maybe I might want to be a journalist, but uh, at that time I was a little bit more inclined towards finance. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a teacher in school who thought I was so weak at science that <laughs> I was not capable of studying science in 11th and 12th and I should have taken commerce. I literally took her advice and went into commerce. Maybe I would have done computer science, but I didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I when I was having these conversations, he said, look, you 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 know how to write. Yeah. What you need to do is get subject matter expertise because if you start writing on that, you can be a journalist in that. Don't his view was don't spend three years learning how to write. And mm-hmm. he ensured I didn't go to uh, journalism school. And uh, I could see where he came from. He also said the the life that journalists have is not the life that you may want to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you may you may you may want to be a part of an organization, but not doing that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I then went into SRCC and, and studied there. I mm-hmm. see a lot of people from SRCC are journalists today and fantastic journalists at that. Mm-hmm. But then he knew me well enough to know that I don't think I would have enjoyed being a journalist per se, mm-hmm. uh, but at least right enough to keep myself happy. Yeah. So I, I grew up observing the media and that's the world I know the best. So to me, it was a natural fit that I come back to the industry I know best. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's funny how things fall into place, right? Like future, all that you did in the past and how it like insanely or like even unknowingly just fit later in the future, right? Yeah, I, I would have still thought that, I mean, when I was in Google, I was quite certain that I would have a big tech career only. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are parts of me which keep saying that maybe once you decide that you've had enough of entrepreneurship and you want to go back, to a, to, a, to a more stable job, you'd want to go back into big tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
of course we all know what's happening to big tech right now but <laughs> i think i'm also on a journey of discovering a lot of other passions that i may not have uh, realized or didn't put enough of time and attention to mm-hmm. so i don't know what next i did uh, one company would have one dream company of mine would have been apple okay yeah, um, yeah. i think i think i saw but then I saw a lot of your blogs about Microsoft and Nokia back in the day, like when Windows came into, like, say, Android versus Windows, and you were like, okay, I'm going to use Windows. So was it, I, I didn't see anything about Apple back then. So I figured, like, you, your dream company would have been Microsoft, probably. <laughs> you know, um, the way I used to get things in, co- in college was my dad would put these milestones. If you got 95% plus, I'll buy you an iPod. So I have to work really hard for it. If you get into this college, I'll get you a laptop. And uh, I got my first Mac back in 2008. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back then, Apple laptops weren't as common and it was considered to be a fairly, you know, people thought I was a spoiled kid. I didn't (laughs) want to kind of be the Apple fanboy back when Apple wasn't as prominent and then have more people thinking I was spoiled. But I was fascinated. I mean, I was quite uh, keen to actually see the Nokia-Microsoft partnership work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, I, was, I I thought of a career in uh, blogging tech, I mean, you know, reviewing tech products. So yeah. that's when I started uh, writing. So uh, we knew someone at Nokia who was very kind. I'd written a letter to him. Uh-huh. Uh, he was the CEO. He was very kind enough to send a device and said, a young kid wants to review our phones and start wow. a career in blogging. So here's a phone. Mm-hmm. And it was extremely nice of him to do so. Yeah. And I, I tried uh, checking out the Microsoft ecosystem because I, I was anyway on an iPhone by then, but I also wanted to know what the Microsoft uh, ecosystem was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a quintessential Apple fanboy, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think we have like, we spurned lovers also because I'm also fighting a consumer court case with them. Uh, <laughs> So it's a little bit of a, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird relationship. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, to put it at, uh, at that way, right. So, yeah. so you mentioned you're doing, you're into multiple things right now, like say Kabuki, uh, Kabuki, I don't know how to pronounce it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Kabuki Creative Studios, NC Media, which is a parent company of News Checker and Signal. So why don't you explain like, what are these companies and what are your goals why are these companies? What are you trying to achieve? Yeah. So actually, NC Media Networks was started in 2019. Okay. Our aim was to educate, inform, entertain. Uh, mm-hmm. When I started, it was it was meant to be a larger media company. You know, I wanted to do multiple things under it. Okay. Uh, I'd obviously come from the background that it's hard to run a media company. Media companies are not necessarily sustainable. Yeah. Uh, I was, cons- uh, even now I have the guidance of my father who's constantly helping out, helping me put things in perspective, understand. Mm -hmm. Uh, We started News Checker in 2019 because we realized that uh, there was a, as far as fact-checking is concerned in languages, there was a gap over there. In 2020, when the pandemic hit, Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing is I don't also, the other thing is I don't participate in any of the editorial discussions of News Checker. There's a team that does it separately. I stay out of that, right? I've never run a newsroom. I don't know how to run a newsroom. Also, of all the languages that we fact check in, I barely speak any, except now English and a little bit of Hindi. Uh-huh. Uh, but I didn't know any of the languages. So I knew that my role over there was only going to be able to 
build an organization, but not the operation per se. Mm -hmm. Right. So I focused on the operational aspects, on the efficiency aspects, but we had special editors who were doing all of that. Yeah. At some point, I realized that. Um, so another thing that happened was in 20, 2013 or fourteen, mm -hmm. when I was at Google, I suddenly became addicted to options trading. Okay. And yeah. I would do that quite massively, and maybe for two weeks I did it, and mm -hmm. I saw my ups and downs, but more ups. But I also realized that, oh, if I have to do this, I have to be glued to a screen 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure I want to do this. So that kind of pulled me back. But till then I was consuming a lot of uh, business news mm -hmm. uh, to kind of gauge how the markets might be today, what my strategy should be for the day. Yeah. And then somehow I just stopped reading it because it felt very dense. It felt very heavy. There was mm -hmm. a lot of jargon, which I didn't understand. And over the years, I just completely stopped reading any kind of business news. Mm -hmm. So in 2020, again, when the pandemic had hit, um, and back then we were thinking of what more should we be doing, I thought of the signal as, why don't we make a newsletter that makes business news, business and tech news, easy and fun to read, no jargon. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, I specifically wasn't quite interested in reading, like spending 10 minutes reading one story. Yeah. I don't have that much time, so I need to know the top five to six things, why it matters, and then take it from there. So we started the signal as an experiment mm -hmm. uh, just to see whether people like it, whether there's good pickup. And surprisingly, a lot of people liked it. Uh, yeah. There was a lot of uh, pickup. But what I also realized is that it was not something that I could have managed to do on my own or uh, within the realm of NC Media. So we then spun it out and that's when I had uh, Venkat and Dinesh, for example, who came on board as co-founders mm -hmm. to be able to... Uh, pick this up and actually take it forward, right? It, it's, it was not something I could do, something we could do together. Yeah. So uh, the signal then, uh, we, we spun it, I spun it out, we spun it out of News Checker, I mean, out of NC Media Networks. Yeah. And now it's in a separate entity on its own. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we, we've grown from, uh, from there. Um, around the same time, we were also looking at how do we, uh, there was a lot of content needs that, uh, a lot of corporates had okay. um, high quality content. So how do we, uh, you know, also help corporates make content? Mm -hmm. And that's when Kabuki was born. Okay. Uh, my focus now is exclusively on the signal. Okay. All right. So that's the whole story and all your goals with respect to each other. Since you mentioned like you prioritize and uh, like you prioritize on having a balanced life, right? And that's your Instagram, uh, the same tagline as well. And you also mentioned like you, you're juggling between so many things before we even start recording. You mentioned you're juggling between too many things and you, your, uh, say, uh, multitasking skill is at a test right now. How do you do that? Like, how do you manage all of these things? Yeah, I, I think I'm trying to have a balanced life, right? Uh, when you try, you can either succeed or fail. I miserably fail. Um, <laughs> It's not, uh, uh, I used to have a concept of some kind of balance when I was in Google. Uh -huh. uh, the weekends used to be off. You could actually switch off from your from work for a while if you wanted to. Yeah. Uh, I, I was not that important that something would stop if I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So my initial concept of work-life balance came from Google. Okay. So when I moved into the world of entrepreneurship, it was a little bit of a jolt because I suddenly realized it doesn't exist. Uh, 
uh, as an entrepreneur, you are on call 24 seven. Uh, there are times when, I mean, I, I sometimes feel like my calendar controls me more than I control my calendar mm -hmm. uh, in a way. And it, it is, it's, it's hard. Uh, it, it's really difficult to sometimes switch off because you're constantly thinking about what can you do better? What can you do bigger? How can you improve something, right? That's always at the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because even when you're taking a break, suddenly something comes into your mind. Exactly. And you don't want to forget it. You don't want to like, uh, you know, say, oh, let me make a note of this later. Because you're, I'm, I mean, and especially with me, if I don't know that something, I'm, I'm capable of forgetting it as quickly as it came to me. Yeah. So it's never been, uh, it, it stopped after I started doing things on my own. Mm -hmm. Um. I've realized over time that it's harder to take longer breaks. Like I can't switch off for 20 days. I can't switch off for 30 days. Yeah. It's hard for me to switch off for two days also. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's easier to take breaks during the day and, you know, uh, kind of put collecting your thoughts together, uh, calming yourself down if you're too hyper about something mm -hmm. or just generally, you know, doing things a little away from work. Mm -hmm. but working on all days because that's now almost a given for me mm -hmm. i still at least try and catch those breaks right so i'm very insistent that i get my daily workout okay. um, it's the first thing i do every morning mm -hmm. um, i get up by 6 37 until 8 8 39 i'm catching my workout so i ensure i do that mm -hmm. uh, i particularly like my lunch break i try and take a good half an hour to 45 minutes mm -hmm. just so i can eat and do some of the other things mm -hmm. um my wife is a lawyer, so uh, during the day she has a break as well. Mm -hmm. So I try and match my break time with hers because otherwise it's hard to get a lot of time together. Yeah. And then in the night I have a cutoff time and say, okay, if I'm able to do all my work by then, then I will stop work at this day. Mm -hmm. But I end up doing work for seven days a week. I'm able to at least get a couple of hours a day where I can do my own things as well. I find that to, to be easier and far more it's a better balancing act than saying i would cram everything on the weekday so i can get my weekend that's a little hard yeah no i mean i completely understand because so i when i started my journey my uh, working journey whatever uh, i started off with a startup right and and it was actually with sports Keeda, which is a media hub so I started yeah. there as a social media person and if you're in social media you have to be on especially in a media house you have to be on every single day yeah. So it started off like that. And then I went to a gaming company and games are always running. It's a, it was a popular game. So I had to be on again every single day. So I just got used to it. Even when I came to LinkedIn and my, uh, this thing, my colleagues were asking me, were literally texting me and asked me to like switch off in the weekend. Don't text me in the weekend. And so what I began doing is not working on LinkedIn, but rather working on all the other, all these other things on the side. Yeah. So I no. And that happens. So one of the things that uh, now I constantly tell our team to do mm -hmm. is take breaks. Yeah. Uh, tell them also, because when you're, if you're in the news industry, then the news cycles 24 seven, something can break all the time. But if you're doing fact checking, sometimes you're exposed to the kind of content that is that, that can be PTSD inducing. Yeah. It, yeah. it really can. So it's important that team members take a break and do something outside of work as well. Mm -hmm. So I insist on that. Like that's something that uh, I feel they need to do. Uh, we've tried to figure out a way to help the team manage and balance that as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
it's when you when you when when the entire responsibility of running the company is on you, then it's a probably a little bit harder. I know. Uh, I sent out the holiday list very recently to the team. I looked at it and said, "Oh man, I wish, you know, like I could claim to get these holidays as well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know." But 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 I guess it's okay. On on holidays, I just work a little lesser, maybe. But you still end up doing something or the other. Yeah, I mean, it's much more. Uh, I think weekends are much more relaxing, although it's not as hectic as a weekdays, right? I mean, comparatively, how's it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, I think the weekends end up being. the work that i end up completing yeah. because mm-hmm. a lot of things on the weekdays end up piling up there are calls mm-hmm. i mean one of the biggest things of working from home is your day is really full of calls yeah. so you're doing calls but your work is still there mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i think a lot of that gets shifted to whenever you have time or in my case is the weekend Got so it. the weekend when i'm doing my brain work and the coordination work or like you know the the core stuff so that The coordination of the calls can happen on the weekdays. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Like working on and also like visualizing what will your week be for the next coming week. Yeah, yeah, right. that's hard to predict. But uh, you know, I try to maintain the calendar as much as possible. Uh-huh. But then, even the calendar is like a constant. Uh, you know, it's like if you were building a puzzle, you will remove one piece and try putting another piece to see if it fits there, right? To me, my calendar is like that. I'm like, okay, can I fit this here? Okay, yeah, this makes sense. Okay, can I fit this here? Yeah, this makes sense. So, <laughs> it's like a constant uh, negotiation or a bargain with the calendar only to ensure that everything can fit in. I know. Yeah, it must be exhausting. <laughs> I can imagine. It is. It is. I do definitely. Uh, I wouldn't say this is hustle culture. Let me be very clear. Yeah. And I wouldn't advise this on anybody as well. Mm-hmm. it's just the nature of the work that sometimes we do which requires us to do this mm-hmm. um and probably not as good as managing my time as well mm-hmm. so that could be one reason why a lot of it spills over to the weekend uh-huh. but um, as much as possible i'd still be an advocate and say try and get your time off or try and get your breaks so at least you don't feel mentally exhausted that um you're you're doing something The one way I keep myself up is for every twenty-five minutes that I work, I run in place for five minutes, or I just do like very simple activity yeah. where I am. Or for every fifty minutes that I sit, I jog for ten minutes. I just go around the house, or you know, just walk or do something. But I try and at least clock in those steps like that, and also kind of break the monotony and then head back to the next thing. I've started standing and working as well. Like I, I, I just made a makeshift uh, standing desk. Uh-huh. And leave my laptop over it, and I've just been working, attending all my meetings. Although now I'm sitting, but I usually like stand and I take all my meetings and everything because they just go on and on and on. So that it's helps. it's quite a change, right? It's a good feeling suddenly when you're able to like uh, get off your chair and just stand and do something. Yeah, uh, I remember in Google they used to have us. Uh, we used to have adjustable desks, but at the breakout zone, they had a treadmill right below it. Uh-huh. Back then, I never appreciated that. I was like, "Who the hell will walk on a treadmill and then work on the laptop at the same time?" Like, come on, how can you not have that much time? Yeah. But now I see full value in it. Yeah, I know, I know. So okay, let's talk about uh, like the things that you've been doing, right? So how is like you've worked on say a social media agency, like you've run that. So how is running a media company, like say the Signal? different from running any other startup like say a news checker or your kabuki studio or the other social media company that you ran earlier 
how are they different yeah yeah uh i think firstly when you're running a media company which is i mean with the signal we're into newsletters and podcasts right mm-hmm. um we need to have a very well oiled operation because we're publishing every day mm-hmm. so it's having a well oiled operation where you know things have to work like clockwork Mm-hmm. and you have to have attention to detail mm-hmm. we cannot make like a spelling mistake a punctuation error like we pride ourselves on high quality so it's important that we have that eye for detail you know that's one thing the other thing is when you are in the if you're doing a newsletter which is covering things that is happening around the globe you you're constantly connected you're constantly clued in you're keeping track of what's going on everywhere because we're actually curating things Mm-hmm. putting it together then the team decides whether something will go up on the newsletter or not mm-hmm. so you know you are uh, hyper connected in that sense uh you have to think about your product you have to think about your content mm-hmm. and you have to think about sustainability as well uh media as we know as a necessarily been the easiest of industries yeah. uh, but we are trying to change that at the same time we know that uh what we are doing is kind of uh, it's a category creation as well mm-hmm. today the newsletters that exist in india are, are mostly behind a paywall when you look at some of the more popular publications right uh, who 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 promise to give you the quality that we are but they are behind a paywall yeah we're able to do that by not being behind a paywall which means we need to have a monetization model in place mm-hmm. um we kept a milestone of the number of subscribers we wanted to reach before we started our monetization efforts mm-hmm. so now that is also in full swing okay so we are constantly juggling between uh, product content monetization product content monetization right mm-hmm. uh, we we don't end up being uh, we have to be generalists at one level mm-hmm. and then specialists at another level yeah so mm-hmm. we have to wear both those hats and do it um so i think those are some of the differences that we see uh, a lot of people trust us a lot of people depend on us mm-hmm. uh for we are a habit for a lot of people at 8 am every morning <laughs> so we have to uphold all of that yeah and so you mentioned the monetization right how does monetization work for signal at the moment <laughs> um currently we're trying to drive uh, sponsorships on the signal mm-hmm. uh that's what we've started with we launched uh, the intersection some time back which was the weekend edition of the signal and then we also have a new newsletter called the playbook okay. which is on the business of gaming and sport uh we've seen some good response from our good uh, yeah a lot of people initially actually reached out to us and said you know we'd love to sponsor the work and support the work that you're doing and we think that the audience you have might be relevant to the kind of product that we are intending to offer in the market so that mm-hmm. was a good match now we're also doing this more proactively so we're reaching out to clients letting them know about who we are what we do yeah. um newsletter advertising is still very very new in india yeah so in a sense we look at our role as not just trying to change mindset but we're creating the mindset that newsletters is another domain where you can and should advertise right mm-hmm. uh, when you look think of a typical media planner a typical media planner is thinking television print digital in digital banner video finished mm-hmm. yes. you know programmatic whatever else so mm-hmm. when we have conversation with marketers many times they're like oh okay so will you show a banner on the on your newsletter and they're like no we don't show banners we actually do a 150 word write up of the ad with a nice image we write it in the same style that we do um mm-hmm. 
we do have a very, very good readership base. So you're going to be reaching out to some of a very premium audience, a very influential audience, a very aspirational audience, right? It's a combination. So I think that's what we're currently doing. So a lot of startups and I, I, I mean, we're similar with many other startups in the sense that we are doing something that very few have done before. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really trying to create that uh, space and the niche. And if we, if we succeed, then a lot of people will be able to succeed as well. I'm not taking all the credit and saying if we others will do, yeah. but we really want the model to work so that it also works for others. You would create a pathway, right? Like that other people can like make it, it'll become easier for them to walk on. Yeah. Yeah. It, it creates the, it at least keeps you as a part of the consideration set when people are thinking of marketing, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen some good results. Um, it's a little, uh, people are skeptical. They're like, oh, but why should we do this? Or, oh, you're, uh, how many clicks do you get? Oh, the numbers are too small. Mm-hmm. But when you see the results and you're like, okay, even if the numbers are small, we still got a bang for the buck. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for as a marketer. Um, yeah. With an agency life, I always thought agency life was hard because you were always at the beck and call of your uh, client. Yeah. Uh, and it can often be a hit or a miss because if you're doing creative work, then sometimes the client likes it. Sometimes the client may not like it. Mm-hmm. And uh, most people in an agency will tell you that the client doesn't know what they want. And we need to tell them, but they don't listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Every agency you speak to will say, client ko pata nahi, ko chahiye kya. <laughs> are you confused? Hai? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if I belonged to the same variety and yeah. therefore wanted to be at that beck and call of the, you know, I mean, we don't get me wrong. I don't think there's an agency kind of life, which wasn't my life. Yeah. No, it was not the life I wanted. That's exactly why I didn't want to get into an agency as well. I chose media. I was like, I'd rather get into that. So, yeah. yeah, work-life balance is similar, but I'd rather get into that than get into an agency because there's a lot of pressure and everything as well. Why, uh, when I was doing my digital marketing course, like I come from engineering, I did a course in digital marketing. While I was doing that course, my trainers and a lot of people are saying, go for an agency, you'll get to learn a lot, you'll get to do, that's great. Yeah, you do get to do all that. But again, uh, it it's again about those pressure and all those things and everything else, right? As you mentioned, uh, that's not a life that I would live. Yeah. And I think also for me, was I was running a digital marketing agency in 2009. Uh-huh. So did I want to be doing the same thing in 2019? I don't think. I, my answer was different. Uh-huh. Makes sense. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So with so many, uh, like, yeah, you mentioned about like you sit together and you prioritize what news goes and what does not go, right? It's single. So, how do you do that? How do you take quality content and in a timely manner? Because that's your tagline, also, right? We don't, we're not the first people to break a news, but we make sense of it. So, how do you do that? How do you pick the right one? You know that like the their audience will like it and then make sense of it, also. What's the process there? So, the signal has a fantastic editorial, editorial and curation team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first, the first activity in the morning is just going through what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, the U S market kind of ends that day when we get up in the morning. Yeah. So we're keeping track of what's going on there. Then we're, uh, keeping track of what's going on in India and then in the other parts of the world, especially the Southeast, Southeast Asia, Australia, Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, post that we have a editorial meeting where, I mean, we're already sharing a lot of links and saying, this is happening. That's happening. This is an interesting development. This is a new announcement, so on and so forth. 
So that's really the first half of your day where you're just keeping track of what's happened and what's likely to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you then, of course, have editorial meetings where you're having a discussion and saying, you know, we literally discuss a story like we're discussing, like each other has to say, why is this story important? Yeah. Why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Why does Why should our audience know about this? Mm-hmm. Like how does it impact them or their life or their professional life, right? With the signal, we want to ensure that you have the enough or more information to ensure your day is worthwhile at work as well. Yeah. You know, you have something to speak about in the water cooler when you when you know when you're there. So we're constantly asking ourselves this: like, why does it matter? Yeah. Or um, what is the? I mean, here is the headline, but what is in what is it in between the lines that we need to tell the readers? Tell mm-hmm. our readers that right. So I think a lot of that conversation happens. Mm-hmm. And then we say, okay, these are the seven or eight things, or these are the five things actually that we must write about. Mm-hmm. These are another eight things that people should know about that it happened. And then of course, some other fun stuff, right? We always um, link to the longer articles for each of those. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's ever interested, they can go back and read there. So that's always going to be there. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's it's like a our our editorial calls are a little bit like a debate sometimes, <laughs> a, a healthy friendly debate yeah. in terms of uh, why is it important to think no no but this could perhaps also have this implication. Yeah. So it's a lot of that, and this is where I think the role of human intelligence comes in because mm-hmm. a chat GPT shouldn't be deciding what is it that uh, can go into a newsletter. Yeah. Right. Um, we also know our audience and what is it that our audience values mm-hmm. what is it that our audience needs and what is it that they want yeah so we try and put that lens on in before thinking of okay this is a story that we must take or this is there we also don't want to ape our front page of a business daily may look like mm-hmm. right we want to be able to break that clutter and give you something else that's genuinely adding value got it I mean, I I could relate to this process because so uh, at LinkedIn, like my team, the creator team, we, we work closely with the news team as well. So we attend their morning uh, editorial meetings wherein they, dis- uh, wherein they discuss news that'll be out for uh, the day, uh, like for the next day, right? So it's a similar process as a debate, a healthy one going on. <laughs> and I could uh, relate to all these things. So do you plan to personalize these content or like make it more, uh, say, uh, localized? Like say you mentioned you uh, take like US news. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, you said you take US news and then uh, other regions news. So do you plan to make like say one Indian newsletter or something like that in the future? Or do you have any thoughts? We... We do have an India focus, but we also cover um, international uh, events. Mm-hmm. If we feel that there's an impact on India or our audience should know about it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we we are a lot more India-centric in that comparison, but we do cover what's going on internationally as well. Mm-hmm. What we're going to be getting into is genre. I think very niche areas of content, which has uh, high niche areas of high interest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we did the business of gaming and sport. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things we'll be doing. I think a, a medium of a language of delivery would be English for some time. All right. Okay. That's interesting. So uh, tell me, let's talk about the publishing industry. Right? Like, I mean, 
What do you think about the industry in India and how is it different from, say, other countries like the US? And like, what's good and what's not so good? And how do you see signal changing like that also? Like, you can even bring that as well. Yeah. When you, when you say publishing, I talk about like newspaper publishing or digital oh, publishing digital or news, digital news, like say, let's take the likes of in shorts, because that's also like short news and everything. Right. So all those and mostly like say, even like say times of India, but in online, because people prefer going there and like finding news and everything. And that's the same thing. And I think the newsletter, uh, newsletter consumption in the U S is much better than in India. Right. So what do you think about all of these things like in India and versus other countries. Yeah. See, building a digital news business nowadays, um, there are a lot of challenges you have to face when you are building this business. Uh, uh, literally anyone can become, can start a website, start putting out news. Yeah. Um, sometimes you don't even need to do that, right? You could just be a creator for that matter and put out videos on Instagram, all of that. Yeah. So there is a lot of uh, factors when you're putting this in. In India, it's harder because you need to cater to very diverse audiences mm -hmm. who speak different languages, mm -hmm. who are not necessarily on the same platform as you are, yeah. who may be consuming different mediums, right? Um, at the same time, the economics of that is are, are very different. Yeah. Uh, if you compare the CPM rates of a website in the US versus the CPM rates of a website in India, yeah, that's one. The scale at which you have to build something in India, despite it by a sheer size, mm -hmm. is very different from the scale that you would in the US, for example. Mm -hmm. So there are some of those uh, differences that are there. Mm -hmm. uh, what's common between the two is we've largely seen legacy brands okay. who've tried to build digital, who you know, who've, who've uh, adopted to the digital era mm -hmm. and again, because of the recognition that they have, they, they tend to be a lot more um, long lasting and more enduring. Yeah. But uh, one of the biggest challenges, again, that's common to both is there's no legacy digital media, digital media first brand that we can think of, right? Mm -hmm. You think of CNN, for example, it's it's legacy. And so you'll automatically go and download the CNN app. Yeah. Right. But uh, you look at BuzzFeed or look at Wise, sure, they were born in our era, mm -hmm. right? In our generation. But are they, as prominent as a CNN still? No. Or are they as prominent as a New York Times, right? Mm -hmm. So there's not been an enduring, long-lasting, digital-first media brand as yet mm -hmm. uh, in that sense. That's our attempt with the signal. Okay. To, to create that enduring, uh, long-lasting uh, brand, mm -hmm. which is able to give you the information that you want. Mm -hmm. I don't say news anymore because nowadays not everything is news. And there is a lot of information out there which can be curated, which can be simplified and given to you. Mm -hmm. So we see that as our role to give you the right, uh, again, you know, even Google say we want to give the right information at the right time. Mm -hmm. And they have their AI to surface your air ticket when you're flying and all of that. That's not the information I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But information that, that helps you at work, that helps you at, maintain a better work life, mm -hmm. that helps you grow your health, your wealth, uh, your well-being, uh, something that keeps you updated and informed and on the top of things all the time. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. So, and uh, again, like, I mean, with news and everything, how, 
because that there's a lot of biasness that goes around the news, right? Like uh, even like with news checkers, I'm sure it must be like I I've also seen like a few tools that checks whether a news is biased towards like in the US if it's left or if it's right or if it's moderate or like how uh, or how much of a bias is there in the particular news? How do you steer clear of this? Like how do you remain unbiased? Can news properties not just you, but can news properties in general remain biased <coughs> or like unbiased? Yeah. Yeah. The signal doesn't cover politics at all. Yeah. Um, we stay clear of it. Mm -hmm. um, unless it's a policy decision that may have some business implication, mm -hmm. we don't uh, cover politics. On the news checker site, again, I think uh, we have a team that looks into editorial and they're constantly trying to figure out what are the false claims that are being made? How viral are they? Uh, what is the impact that they have? Mm -hmm. And we often put this thing called, uh, yeah, what is it called? God, I'm forgetting the term. We look at the public risk. Okay. If that information had to spread, what kind of harm could it create? Makes sense. Yeah. And we put that lens to decide that, okay, this is the piece of misinformation we need to debunk. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what the news checker team has done, uh, mm -hmm. it's led by this person called Ruby Dingra. She has, uh, we try and ensure that any false claim that we come across, we will fact check. Yeah. The question is prioritizing which one gets fact checked first and then which one gets fact checked next. Mm -hmm. It's no more a situation of we will only fact check this claim made by this person, but not this claim made by that person. That's not the criteria anymore. Okay. So that's a good way to ensure that we are fact checking anything that's deemed to have some kind of public public risk. Okay, so can people come and fact check a particular news as well? Or like, how does that work? Like, I mean, say if I put a link, can I check if, if I can I fact check it or? If, if you're unsure about a piece of content and you want to know whether it's veracity, mm -hmm. we have a WhatsApp number. Okay. You can send that to us on WhatsApp and uh, the news checker team will fact check it for you. Oh, wow, that's interesting, yeah. yeah. I mean, because that's something that I was also trying to look at, right? I mean, like, the reason why I asked you this question is because we see a lot of, like, people saying that, okay, this particular news is biased towards this, and that's it's promoting a particular thing. And that also influences a group of, especially in India, the way news can influence a particular group and how that can spread as, like, a wildfire is, like, is crazy. So I think, yeah, that's why I wanted to ask you about it as well. Yeah, but remember, we can only uh, check something which is a fact, not an opinion. Okay. Yeah. I have to kind of, you know, uh, mention that. Yeah. Um, it's someone's opinion, it's their opinion, right? Uh, there could be arguments for it, there can be arguments against it. Uh -huh. But um, one of the things with misinformation, right? Uh, sure, there is a lot of political misinformation, mm -hmm. but there is a lot of health misinformation as well. Yeah. There is a lot of... Uh, messages and information going around which are trying to scam people mm -hmm. uh, into sending money into some account or yeah. uh, transfer you know uh, trying to capture personally identifiable data yeah uh, uh, phishing attempts so a lot of these things exist as well mm -hmm. so uh, news checkers role isn't only to look at what's going on on twitter or what's what's going on in the political space right mm -hmm. we think of the role to be a lot more in terms of actually identifying 
what are people talking on the ground what's spreading on the ground uh-huh. uh, and sometimes you'll be like uh, geo is celebrating its fifth anniversary so they're going to give you lifetime free data but you've got to fill this form and you have to pay a small amount of money to activate it okay and it's happened a lot of people have lost money mm-hmm. these things happen right so we're also there to look at those things not just what you may otherwise see as high decibel but even those things because if we can prevent even 10 people from not getting scammed mm-hmm. we'd feel very happy about the work we do no makes sense so talk to me about uh, like say sensationalization sensationalization of news like because these days you need to sell news right you need to in order to be like read and everything and we see so many news uh, this thing channels are going more towards clickbaiting and things like that do you think that's something uh, like w- what's your take on that at least because uh, and how do you like at, at signal like move away from that because you need to also like get more clicks get more Uh, up your CTR, etc. So, how can a media or like any media company or any uh, channel move away from clickbaity or sensational stuff yet have a high CTR or get more visibility, etc.? What's your take on that? The thing about Signal is we don't have to move away because we didn't start there in the first place. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. You know, uh, we very well knew what we wanted to do from day one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had a quality product mm-hmm. if you served the needs of the audience mm-hmm. if you were able to do the job that you said your newsletter would do mm-hmm. people will come back and read mm-hmm. you don't have to get clickbaity about it mm-hmm. the good part about this is we're not looking at quantity as much as we're looking at the quality of things mm-hmm. so we have a very very good reader profile mm-hmm. it might be fewer in number yeah. when you compare it against some of the others but very very high in quality so that's been the uh, not star for us really so we are growing by the numbers yeah how do you reach these people in that case like what your growth be slower and like and how do you even like what are you doing to reach such people also is it just by word of mouth by sharing and everything or uh, to a large extent word of mouth okay uh, we also do kind of run awareness campaigns Mm-hmm. about who we are as a signal and what we do mm-hmm. and we're constantly looking at the data to understand what is it that our audience likes and dislikes mm-hmm. uh to see that okay this is what our audience expects out of us mm-hmm. it's also a function of being very clear mm-hmm. about what we offer because mm-hmm. if you as the audience don't want it then we're clear that we're not for you yeah right come to us only if you want this mm-hmm. otherwise there's a whole lot of other things out there as well yeah um, we make sure to be very very clear about that in all our communication and uh, all our marketing as well right mm-hmm. so we're able to avoid that we don't try and again as i said we're not here to be the front page of the newspaper i'm mm-hmm. not going to be a newsletter version of that mm-hmm. right we try and actually pass through that sensationalism to tell you what is it that really matters that you need to know mm-hmm. uh one of the stories that i had done i remember the story because i think we were ahead of the curve like we have been on many other stories mm-hmm. um this is for the signal i've never done a fact check in my life but uh i've written a couple of stories on the signal mm-hmm. uh so what happened was uh when apple had launched one of its ios versions yeah. we realized that what apple was trying to do was build in social features Mm-hmm. to try and take on social media without saying that they were social 
Yeah. And if you look at the announcement they made 10 years back regarding iOS, mm-hmm. they were very proudly saying we've inbuilt this social media platform into our operating system. So now you can easily share on it, you know. Mm-hmm. So we started calling it out and saying that Apple is getting into this domain and it looks like a lot more is coming. And then they had app tra- app tracking transparency come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came to Netflix, uh, we wrote a lot of things about how Netflix was going to go, whether it was gaming, whether it was uh, ad-tiered support, whether it was trying to do uh, content. We were ahead of the curve in many of those ways. Mm-hmm. So I think again over there, it's it's easy to... Sure, the Air India case is interesting for a lot of people and everybody mm-hmm. wants to know what's going on there. It's disgusting. Yeah. But our audience already knows about it from mainstream. We don't need yeah. to tell them that anymore. We need to now, again, cut the clutter. And uh, this is something that Shikhar Gupta would love. Mm-hmm. But uh, kind of take away all the noise and give you only the signal. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, like focusing more on the quality aspect, right? And yeah, not chasing the uh, the say the sensational news per se. Like I I don't think signal uh, has uh, did it cover the Air India news because I don't think it did, right? Did it? I mean, it wasn't like an entire story that we. I know because I saw other media publishing houses like having it on their front page. I mean, that uh, main header news. And they had for days, and even now there are stories around it. I I don't understand why they are stretching it so much, but I mean, yeah, I probably it helps them. It serves their needs, right? Yeah. Again, look, every every media organization has its own objectives and goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, ours isn't to take something like this because we know that our audience may not want this. Uh, mm-hmm. Our audience knows about it and has moved on. Yeah. Or at least know enough they need to know about this case. They don't need to constantly keep fed with the he said, she said, and all yeah. of that, right? Yeah. Uh, that's there. So I don't think we get into that. That's not our place. Makes sense. So, uh, and now, like, we even touched upon this, like, the newsletter bit and the readership bit and everything. And now you also mentioned that Signal is doing podcasts, Right. So do you feel like uh, the pivot is because people are not reading much in the country or like, and that's why you're going towards other kind of media and that's why even other media houses should also like pivot to like say videos. Are you looking at, are you thinking about videos or do you feel like readership would improve? What's your take on that? Like, why did you move towards other mediums? It, 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 it's not a pivot. I would say it's a, it's, it's something that we also do. Okay. So we're largely a text and audio based media company. Okay. Uh, we see that there is an audience who wants a lot of this text based content. Mm-hmm. And there is an audience who also wants the audio based content. Okay. So we've, we've gotten into both. Uh, the Signal Daily podcast that we do is like the spoken edition of the Signal, mm-hmm. but it only covers two text stories and interesting stories that you'd want to know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you haven't, then do, do listen to it at some point. You'll realize how it's different from the signal as a newsletter also. Mm-hmm. It's an extension of the newsletter. Let me put it that way, right? Okay. Um, we, we do have more podcasts in the pipeline, uh, yeah. which we're working on. And the idea is to tell good stories. Mm-hmm. Some stories which may not necessarily have the same impact on the text format, but can have a better impact on the uh, audio format. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, 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 we haven't gone down the typical video route of, you know, uh, having a YouTube channel and only making content for that. Yeah. I think we look at social videos specifically, okay. but it has to fit our uh, personality, our tone, mm-hmm. and something that can genuinely, again, 
be useful for the consumer or be useful for the viewer in this case, right? Mm -hmm. So we do have an idea of to, as to how it's going to look mm -hmm. and we still need to build video capabilities uh, in-house. Uh, but in terms of audio and in terms of text, we're fully capable of doing that. Is that uh, you also use social media as well? Because I see on Instagram, you have those infographics and everything and news and everything. Uh, or is it like, and is it just aiding to your newsletter? Are you using it to like send people to your newsletter? Like how are you using your other social media platforms? At this point, it's aiding the newsletter, newsletter and the podcast both. Okay. okay. Yeah. We've not, uh, we've, we, we are trying, we're experimenting because we're still finding out the right mm -hmm balance between things but uh, you can of course look at social media as a separate content channel per se with specialized content mm -hmm. a lot of uh, uh, you know there are only there are businesses today which only make content for instagram and youtube and don't do text or don't do audio mm -hmm. uh, but dynamics work differently everywhere mm -hmm. so we, we we're trying to do two things that we do best first mm -hmm. before we move into something that we're relatively new to so how do you think like companies uh, adapt to the changing consumption needs, right? Like, I mean, at one point, at least five years ago, short videos were not as prevalent. And now there are so many short, like, short videos taken over and we see companies also starting to make short videos and news in short, in crisp manner. And there are, and like that, like few years from now, there must be something else, right? So how do you adapt? Like, what do you do to adapt? Or are you planning to move towards that route? And how, what would you suggest like other companies or like even smaller media houses or anybody like adapt to such? See, there are larger trends and then there are smaller trends, but trends nonetheless, right? Mm -hmm. As an organization, you need to decide what is it that you're capable of doing and what you want to cater to. Mm -hmm. uh, we know today that there is a market for newsletters. Yeah. Right. We know the size of that market. Mm -hmm. You can compare it to the size of another market and say it may not be as big, mm -hmm. sure, yeah. but it may, but it's far more valuable. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how you got to kind of understand some of these things. So when uh, one thing is we have to adapt to the changing times, right? You you adapt or you don't survive. It's yeah. it's as good as that. But even when you're doing that, it's important to find a niche where you can manage to survive. Mm -hmm. uh, so you adapt and find that niche to be able to survive, right? Yeah. That's what we are doing, right? We're finding our niche areas where we know that we'll do well mm -hmm. and where we know we can do it better than the others. And then we are going in those directions. Got we're it. not opening up fronts where we know we can't defend ourselves. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, what yeah. do you mean? Like, so when you mention niche in the sense, like, is it based on content, like the playbook and everything? Or do you mean like, what do you exactly mean? Yeah, it could be content areas. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be uh, content types. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, there is one newsletter. It's actually not a newsletter, but a Google Doc. Okay. Okay. It's just a link to the Google Doc. And there are a lot of takers for that, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it might make sense if you're an individual who is doing this because the economics may work for you, then your organization that may not work. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. We, you can try and follow very macro trends and try and adapt to that at a larger scale. Mm -hmm. And you may not be able to fully ace it. Mm -hmm. But if you recognize some of the other things that are happening, you're able to cater to that, you could see very good success. Got it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, and we spoke about chat GPT and everything, right? Do you, and we spoke about like how much of an influence it can have. Like, how do you see it also shaping news and everything? Do you see it 
like taking over. We spoke about like how uh, Chat GPT cannot replace like all these human interventions, especially with respect to data and everything. But do you see it uh, like making a shift from having like hundred people to having just ten people and and you chat GPT, do you think that is a future or do you think that's not going to be, it's just going to be another tool and it's just going to fade away? What do you think about that? That I mean, this is a debate that a lot of people are now having. Mm -hmm. um, chat GPT can definitely make a lot of your um, bread and butter content much easier to do. Mm -hmm. I say bread and butter is if you're a website and you need a content shop just to keep producing content, yeah. in massive volumes are able to feed the SEO engine, yeah. then this can really be helpful. Mm -hmm. GPT can really be helpful with that. Mm -hmm. But probably for a lot more analytical stuff, for a lot of more as I said, connecting the dots kind of things, you might still need some human intervention there. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely there. I do think there are going to be positive impacts of ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. uh, you're already seeing schools in different states of the U.S. ban chat GPT for homework. Mm -hmm. So you're going to see those kind of use cases and outcomes as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm particularly interested to see how chat GPT can make computing more intelligent. Uh -huh. I would love it if chat GPT could name the folders and sort my files on my computer automatically. You know. Yeah. <laughs> also, Figure it out. Then also I read about this Microsoft is coming up with wall, uh, this, in, this in voice type of chat GPT, I forgot the name, I now get the name clearly, but it's like, say, if you, uh, it can, if you put out uh, your audio, it can make like podcasts out of it and from a particular text and everything. So do you see that taking over podcast space and uh, like, what's your take on that? So I, I think Microsoft is looking to make an investment in, in, in open oh, AI. Yeah. yeah, and they want to integrate it with Bing. Mm -hmm. as well as uh, Microsoft Word and PowerPoint and Excel and all of those things. Mm -hmm. um, they do have the Cortana voice assistant already. Yeah. Uh, it, I've not used it much. I, I've actually, uh, yeah. yeah. I've used it very uh, little, uh, but... So Siri. <laughs> yeah, Siri yeah. actually. Well, I, I haven't even used Siri surprisingly as much. Uh -huh. uh, I'm more the okay Google person in that, uh, at least in that, in, in that use case. Uh-huh. Uh, God, she set off again. I can hear her speak. Uh, <laughs> uh -huh. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, but then uh, I, 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 I not. I mean, they might want to integrate this into uh, voice assistants as well. Google has also been trying it for a very long time. They also have mm -hmm. this Lambda, which one yeah. engineer claimed was sentient. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a tech optimist. So I'm looking forward to that day mm -hmm. where you know it can be a lot more smarter. Sometimes the voice assistant can get really dumb. Yeah. So I know if that happens, then yeah, let's see. Yeah. So, okay. Um, let's talk about like some of the tips that you would like to give students and everyone who are trying to get into the space, like say the publishing space or the media space. So what are some things that you would like to say that they do or don't do to uh, make a career move in the space? If you are going to be entering the media space, be don't uh be multimedia conversant okay you can't just say that i'm only going to write you now need to know how to shoot you need to know how to record you need to know how to edit mm -hmm. you need to know how to do basic graphics you need to know how to do basic animations uh be conversant with the platforms that are there today because that's going to be your distribution mechanism right mm -hmm. um, this is the biggest thing that we say is you have to be multimedia ready today 
And if you know how to code, even better, because then you can analyze yeah. data as well. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, and I'm sure you keep learning and you mentioned about the amount of news that you have to consume in order to, uh, in order to even uh, make an impact in the space and also produce like good quality content, right? So what are some of the sources that you rely on like to consume content and to get news and learn and books also maybe like, and what are some things that you would like to share with the viewers as well? You know, one unfortunate part about moving to Delhi was I lost my habit of reading a book. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I, I mean, it takes me a long time to finish books. I'm trying very hard, uh -huh. but uh, we're in the newsletter space. And I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. Uh, uh -huh. No, no guesses there. Mm -hmm. um, the ones that I do subscribe to, I, I like the Bloomberg technology newsletter that comes every day. Mm -hmm. uh, there's one that Lukashaw does on entertainment that comes every week. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a publication called The Information. Okay. Their newsletters are really useful. I religiously read that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's something called Publish Press uh, mm -hmm. by Colin and Samir on the creator economy. I, I get that as well. Uh, I go through Axios, the app. I don't necessarily get it in my inbox, but mm -hmm. I see a lot of newsletters from there. And uh, yeah, those are some of the sources that I end up having. I've configured a lot of my uh, Flipboard and stuff to give me news on Android or iOS or things like that. And mm -hmm. that's about it. I'm trying to cut down on the amount of information I consume. Uh, <laughs> okay. The relief of missing out can be something else. Uh, and just kind of just consume things I want to and need to. That's that's about it. I understand the feeling. Like I uninstalled uh, Instagram early this year. No, sorry, last year, last week of uh, this thing, last year. And oh my God, such a relief. Uh, and I've just been, I have this tool called, I have this app called Feedly, which is an aggregator. So yeah. I use that to like consume whatever news I need and I don't rely on anything else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That makes sense. And that's a good tool as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Finally, what's a major learning that you've had as an entrepreneur? Major learning as an entrepreneur? Yeah. It's important. Yeah. I think it's, it doesn't matter what happens. You mm. get up the next day and do what you have to. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Lovely. It's, uh, yeah, that's been my major learning. I mean, basically resilience, but that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, you have to do what you got to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have to do what you have to yeah amazing okay now before we end our podcast we usually have this game that we play with all our guests it's called okay. Rap, wherein i shuffle a few cards and whatever question comes up you answer in 12 seconds or less all right okay yeah so okay let's go first question is what's something interesting that you recently learned i was learning about the history of the boeing 747 Okay. And about how it was actually Pan Am who went and said they wanted a plane that's twice the size of a 707. Mm -hmm. I like planes, as I mentioned. So that yeah. was an interesting thing that I learned about. Awesome. And where do you learn all these things? Like, I mean, on YouTube or? Some good YouTube channels. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Okay. What's one of your personal quirks? Oh, I can't have a scratch or a dent on my phone. <laughs> okay. All right. Then, okay, what's your favorite small business to support? Uh, local bakeries. Okay, okay. Like what kind? I mean, uh, anything in particular that you look for? 
I have a sweet tooth. So like the pastry shops, I think they <laughs> deserve to be there. Awesome. So who's someone you're grateful for this week? I'm always grateful to my wife that she chose to marry me, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question. What's one thing you must have in your fridge at all times? Chocolate. Uh, yeah, sweet tooth. Explains that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, chocolate. <laughs> Amazing, Rashneel. It was a pleasure having you. I learned a lot and I'm I'm glad that we could deep dive into so many things. So do you have any closing thoughts and also mention where people can find you if they want to reach out to you? Firstly, Lakshya, thanks for having me over. It was wonderful speaking to you. Uh, trust me, I learn a lot more from you than you learn from me. <laughs> We've obviously been interacting quite a while. Um, you can uh, subscribe to the signal at uh, signal.co. Uh, otherwise, I'm personally available on LinkedIn and Twitter. Amazing. Yeah. And if you want to find us, you can find us on Grow Your Market on all our social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn. And you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Rakshatranathan. We'll see you in the next podcast. Bye-bye.